0: Welcome to Call to Reset. This is episode three. Today is March the 14th, 2021. And today's episode is The Law is Silent. Well, happy Spring Forward Day. Yes, it's daylight savings time, almost the very end of it. But if you lost an hour of sleep due to the time change... Well, look at it this way, you're one hour closer to spring in about six days. Hats off in the house. So here we go again, another freaking history lesson. Well, history is important as it shows us where we are. We live in the present, we do not live in the past. But we need to know who we are and where we have come from. Now, I may read most or all of what follows, but I wrote it or I will quote it for those that I am quoting. It is important to me to get the information accurate out to you. Maybe I will somehow include some after podcast show notes or something like that. We'll just have to see so you would have reference of some of this information later. It may or may not appear in my sequel to my book, this being the first one, which is Reset, An An Alien's Guide to Resetting Our Republic. You can find more information about that at resetbook.com. It may be in the sequel, which is to be Apple of Gold in a Picture of Silver. But whatever it is, I wrote it or I'll quote it. Now, last time, you remember the riots in major cities, especially in New York City, from the last time in Episode 2? It was a direct but likely unintended consequence of the Conscription Act. which, by the way, Congress wrote and President Lincoln signed. It became quite clear that not only was the conflict with the southern states, but it was also with the northern states as well. The Conscription Act took over the states. It placed it under the control of the military, martial law, and so did the Libra Code, rules of engagement, and rules of occupation of an invading country, the United States of America, into another country, the United States of America. If it weren't for the movie Gangs of New York, I may never have discovered the truth about those times of these riots and how worse it was than actually what was depicted in the movie. I am a visual learner. But words spoken can paint pictures and our imagination can fill in the details. But why were we never taught these things while we were in school? I never was. People are people and the beloved city then and the beloved city now just didn't want to be reminded of the evils of that day. And they weren't evils from without, they were evils from within. They were evils of their own doing. The articulate poet Thoreau was living in New York City at the time. And he awoke the following morning after the riot was put down by the returning soldiers from Gettysburg. And he looked out about where he lived And he saw nothing but ash and smoke. If the sun was shining, it was clouded and heavily hazed because of everything that was in the air. The smell of it. The sight of what he could see. People that were killed and injured. The noise of the previous night. The lynchings, etc., etc. And all this articulate man could write was black, black, black. When peace was restored, people did not want to remember or be reminded of their evils, the evils of their own doing. It was similar today in tearing down statues, the cancel culture and trying to remove history, too painful and too evil for a civilized society. Well, Lee surrendered and took the fire out of the Confederacy. Then President Lincoln was assassinated. Then the conspirators were captured and John Wilkes Booth was killed. Washington DC was in crisis mode. Now remember the entire country was still under martial law, still under military control. The conscription act had not been canceled. Only the draft was ended. The Libra code was still in effect. No peace treaty was ever signed and no president commander in chief has ever canceled it. Then came the trial of the conspirators. Then entered Mary Surratt, Mrs. Mary Elizabeth Jenkins Surratt. She was the mother of Anna Surratt and John Surratt. Her son, John, a Southern secessionist, a spy and at large, Implicated and wanting in a conspiracy to assassinate President Lincoln. Today's episode is brought to you by a new concept I discovered in watching another movie called The Conspirator. It was directed by Robert Redford. I do not know how accurate this movie is, how much embellishment or artistic license was employed just to make it interesting to watch. Those I've no time or interest to research, to prove or disprove, but I am interested in facts. And the facts are, number one, Mary Surratt ran a boarding house where she and her daughter, Anna, lived. Her son stayed when he was in town and boarders included several conspirators, among them John Wilkes Booth, the actor that pulled the trigger shot and killed the first president ever assassinated in the United States of America. Number two, Mary Surratt was a widow and she kept a boarding house. She was a Roman Catholic, was a widow, and she went to church every day. She was a mother that attended to her 20 year old son as best as she could and a single daughter. I'm sure both she and her daughter would like to be come married. As far as Mary was concerned, that her daughter would be taken care of. Number three, the President, Andrew Johnson, signed an order that the conspirators were to be tried by a military tribunal and not a civil trial. Number four, the U.S. Attorney General defended the President's order amidst concerns that it should have been a civil trial. Number five, Johnson's order and the Attorney General's defense of it were unnecessary as the acts of President Abraham Lincoln were still in force and effect, having never been canceled. To this day, they have never been canceled. We were born under martial law, and we are still under martial law, military control by the commander in chief, the president of the United States. Number six, when Mary Surratt was arrested and imprisoned for her part in the conspiracy or to force or to induce her son, John, to come forward out of hiding in defense of his mother, May never be fully known. Number seven. None of the conspirators, including Mary Surratt, were ever allowed to speak. Only their defense counsel could speak on their behalf. This is not ordinary in a civil trial. They were never even given the choice to speak. They were not allowed to speak. Number eight. Mary Surratt's defense counsel argued that the burden of proof was upon the prosecution and that only circumstantial evidence, neither the presumption of innocence, or any proof beyond a reasonable doubt existed, required in evidence for both the military trial or a civil trial to convict was ever provided. Number nine, the prosecution even admitted that evidence against Mary Surratt was circumstantial and not beyond a reasonable doubt, but he argued for her conviction anyway. Number 10, Mary Surratt was convicted for her part in the conspiracy to assassinate the President of the United States of America, Abraham Lincoln. Number 11, Mary Surratt's attorney, Frederick Aiken sought and obtained a writ of habeas corpus, produced the body before a court for a civil trial. Number 12, this writ of habeas corpus was denied by then President Andrew Johnson. Number 13, all those tried and found guilty were to be executed, including Mary Surratt. Number fourteen. <clears throat> excuse me. Many people wanted Mary Surratt a woman and her part not being as vile or as extreme as the other as the others sentenced with her, thought death too extreme and wanted her imprisoned for life. Number fifteen, President Andrew Johnson denied any stay of execution for Mary Surratt, and in signing her death warrant, he declared she, Mary Surratt, quote, kept the nest. He insisted that hatched the egg, end of quote. Number 16, Mary Surratt always maintained her innocence. Number 17, Mary Surratt, at age 42, was the first woman executed by the United States government. Number 18, Mary Surratt's daughter, Anna, petitioned President Andrew Johnson for her mother's body to be exhumed from the prison yard and moved for proper burial by the family. The petition was granted, but only about a month later. Now I'm going to show and tell about a very graphic and rare photograph. It is a picture of the death warrant for David Harold, Lewis Powell, Mary Surratt, and George Astorot being read aloud by General John F. Hartranth. I can't pronounce his name and I'm sorry. But this photograph, you can find it, and it is produced and made available at rarehistoricalphotos.com. And here is the picture. I hope to get the glare out of here, see if I can get it out of here better somewhere else. That's It's terrible. Hmm. Well, you see four nooses, four people seated in chairs, And you see the one on, let's see, where is it? There it is. The one right here is Mary Surratt. That would be the right side of the gallows. And she's wearing a black sleeved dress. She's wearing a black bonnet. And she has a black veil over her face. And someone is holding an umbrella over her to shield her from the sun. It was a very hot day. It was July 7th, 1865. The temperature was reported to be around 92 degrees. And despite everything, she was afforded the right side of the gallows in the first position because apparently a lot of people thought that had more respect. Well, what difference does it make? Because they were all going to be executed anyway. Mary Surrat Surratt, excuse me, and three others were hung on this very hot day, reported to be, like I said, 92 degrees. July 7th, 1865, approximately around 1:30 p.m. Around 115 p.m., they brought them out there were stairs they had to climb to go up onto the gallows. And as Mary Surratt got to the stairs, she started to faint or fall due to the heat or the sight of the gallows. I do not know. But two military men helped her on either side to climb the stairs. Then she was seated and someone held an umbrella over her. And then... The order of execution was read and the prisoners were made to stand. Their arms were tied behind their backs. Their legs were tied. Bags were placed over their heads and nooses around their necks. The lever was pulled and they were all executed at the same time. Quote, she, Mary, was cut down and placed in a square wooden box or coffin in the clothes in which she died. The rope made a clean cut around her neck, fully an inch in diameter, which was black and discolored with bruised blood. The cap was taken off of her face and she was laid in the coffin with it on and thus passed from the earth Mary E. Surratt, end of quote. Excerpt from The Trial of the Assassins and Conspirators by T.B. Peterson and Brothers. And now comes the title for episode three, The Law is Silent. What's the connection? Why did I bring up such a graphic image to show you? To shock you? Well, perhaps in a sense, but... Maybe not what you might expect. The law is silent. Whether or not the prosecutor of this conspiracy trial quoted the abbreviation or the full phrase to follow to Mary Surratt's attorney, Frederick Aiken. I may never know, and it matters not. But watching this movie, the conspirator, the term, the law is silent, will be forever seared in my memory. It is an abbreviation of a Latin term, and I'm going to do my best to try and pronounce it for you. Enter arma enum silent leges. Another pronunciation is enter arma anem silent leges. Both of those two pronunciations are supposedly from the United States of America, and yet there's another one if you want to go to the UK or United Kingdom. Pronounce whatever with authority. Latin is an almost dead language anyway, but its meaning is, in times of war, the law is silent. What war? The Civil War? Did Congress ever declare a war? War against what country? By what country? I thought Lee had surrendered already. In times of war, the extraordinary occasions, as it says in the Constitution, in times of war, those are extraordinary occasions. In times of war, the ordinary occasions are suspended civil war or civil law is under civil is under military control we were each born under martial law law and we are still under martial law under military control today and why is this so because none have ever canceled the acts of president abraham lincoln from 1860 to 1863 1864 After his death in 1865 or ever since to the present day, time, and hour of the year 2021. Before closing this out, I want you to know two things. Number one, everything about our Constitution is about limits. These limits are to limit our government from interfering with your life, your liberty, and your pursuit of happiness the servants in the government of the people, by the people, and for the people are bound to the Constitution to protect, preserve, and defend the rights of the people that have authored and ordained the Constitution for the United States of America. Even war is limited. Just like it cannot rain every day, Or the sun cannot shine on us every day. War is limited. Well. From 1860 to 2021. In essence this so-called civil war. Never seemed to end. This does not sound limited to me. What is going on? What is going on? The law is silent. In times of war. Number two. The idea of in times of war, the law is silent is just one of four things which are connected to each other. There is a mathematical axiom here. A mathematical axiom is something that is accepted as true. And the axiom is... Things equal to each other are equal to the same things. Well, the next time, we're going to look at the next point of these four, and that's going to be the law of emergency. Until next time, have a great day.